0: Open up your books, you Bad Apples. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Bad Apple Book Club. I'm Lucas Nord. And I'm Cole Lang.
1: And we're back. We're back. It's we a back. new year. We missed a week. We missed the first week ever since the podcast started. Uh, yes, I was
0: going to address the elephant in the room right out of the gate, but you took the words right out of my mouth. 25 continuous episodes of the official show, and one discussion episode for every book, give or take, and the Halloween episode, and, you know, we started this early June, and so, yes, we have officially missed an episode, but, uh, I mean, that's just gonna happen, you know, I don't even think, I don't even think any of those shows with 500 episodes, I don't even think they made it. 25 whole episodes without missing one you know so we're not only are we breaking ground in the content format and um in just the way we carry the show but we're also breaking ground in just podcasting in general
1: oh yeah 25 straight episodes has not been done before no uh, <laughs> yep yeah. and i just want to say a lot has happened since we've uh left uh, or last recorded
0: um, Are and, you going to tie this episode down to the present by talking about everything?
1: Uh, is that, is that I, what I'm about to hear? Well, everyone's been asking, oh, what's <laughs> the bad Apple Book Club stance on the Capitol uh, uh, storming? And we say we condone it. We condone violence. That's our stance. Violence is
0: not good. I, I'm going to be the first to say it.
1: A little controversial, you know, some people might not agree with that, but that's it's our bad. stance. Yep, yep.
0: Now, Cole, um, we, of course, actually, we, uh, we're we going to record the episode for Monday, or I guess I'll just call it last week, even though, you know, we're recording this on the day after the other <laughs> one was supposed to come out. But, um, of course... That had nothing to do with the scheduling conflict. That had nothing to do with shift differential. That has nothing to do with Cole and I living on opposite ends of the world. That has to do with how we just couldn't start this new series without the weeks of lead up to it. We needed to do all the research. We needed to... Well, once again, I'm probably only a quarter of the way into the book. Um, and that isn't true at all. It was actually a scheduling snafu, but... Um, Cole has been working hard on the new outline for the book. For the series, we're starting right this second, which would be...
1: I Know Why the Caged Bird Sings. Wonderful. And I I guess I just want to start this off by, are you familiar with her work at all?
0: Honestly, uh, no one's gonna know what I'm talking about here. But the only reason I knew the name Maya Angelou was from a Danny Brown song. And I thought she was an actor, uh, Well, that's she not was. the case.
1: <gasps> yes, yeah, she was very talented. Yep. Wonderful.
0: Um, otherwise, though, I mean, I'm positive that I've heard of this book before, but when you originally said, hey, man, the next book we're covering is I Know Why the Cage Bird Sings by Maya Angelou, I immediately looked it up. Or whatever, I think you must have just said the title, and I looked it up, and then I thought, oh, Maya Angelou. Once again, I knew the name from the Danny Brown song, which is not a very, it's a great song, but it's not a good place to get, like, historical information from. (laughs) Um, But when I saw her name uh, under the title, I, I did put two and two together, but I do not know a single thing about this wonderful, talented lady.
1: Yeah, I, well, I wasn't too familiar until um, I read one of her poems in community college. Very uh, nice. Yep, I, I did a bunch of night classes at community college. Back in uh, Charleston, South North Charleston, uh, the better Charleston, Charleston, uh, JK. Whoa. Uh- <laughs> okay, now, if you're friends from...
0: Back home are listening. You definitely just divided the fan base. (laughs) Yeah,
1: we've joked.
0: We've (laughs) joked before, you know, um, between the flats and the drums for chicken wings in our Hellbound Heart episode. We've joked about that kind of stuff before, but now. You're actually dividing the fan base. Oh, yeah. And I see nothing but trouble coming from this.
1: <laughs> too soon, too soon. Can't be inciting uh, civil wars here. Uh, but I read one of her poems in an English class, and it was called Still I Rise. And not the biggest poetry guy in the world, but here, but... Uh, that poem, if you got, you know, two minutes, just go read it. It's, I think it's the most beautiful thing ever. Um,
0: you, you want me to sit silently and go read it right now? Is that what you're saying? Because I no. will, I, I will do that right here on the podcast. Okay. What, oh, no, I was just... <laughs> I was making a joke about how you're like if you got two minutes go read it, so I'm like, oh, I'll go read it right now. Uh, <laughs> if you, you don't know, mind, just a little, we'll sign off. <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah, just a little joke for you. Two minutes of dead air. Okay, yeah. uh, but that's how I was introduced to her, and uh, I guess you know, I I'm, I can relate to you. I did hear about her from a Kanye West song. Thank you for
0: saying you can relate to me. Oh, I remember hearing her name in a Kanye West song now that you mention it, too. But which one? Hey, it's Hey Mama.
1: Yeah, that's there we probably,
0: go. That's probably the most appropriate Kanye song we could be talking about. But not because yeah. of our mothers. Just because a lot of his other stuff is a little raunchy. <laughs> a little, little too much,
1: if you ask me. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, but that's how I know about her. And... Uh, Without further ado, I'll, uh, I'll talk about her a little bit here. Maya Angelou, she was born in St. Louis, Missouri on April 4th, 1928. So right at the end of the Roaring Twenties, well, we got a depression coming. That's um, what I heard. Yeah. Yep, except for these twenties, a little bit different, a little bit different. Uh, her early life is written about in... The book we're covering. I know why the caged bird sings. It's her autobiography, and it's the first of seven that she's okay. r- written.
0: First of seven? Yeah. That is a lot of autobiographies. Oh, yeah. But, of course, that could also just tell us that I'm assuming it's probably safe to say we're about to learn that she had a bit of a storied life in the first place.
1: Oh, very. Very. Uh,. Very interesting life, oh, and I just want to say this is our first female author. Yes, uh,
0: wonderful. I wanted to mention the same thing.
1: yep, it took us way too long. I think we covered almost every author has been terrible. Uh, and oh. you know my aunt she said, you have to call you have to cover a colored uh woman author and i was like you know what i can't argue with that so you can't argue with this is a great book
0: but i would also like to argue that um even though i think it's safe to say we're out of our fledgling state here i personally wasn't really paying attention to any of the authors i just wanted to you know, cover the stories that maybe held a place in my heart that I'd been excited to cover ever since we started the show. So I don't personally have all that kind of stuff in mind. But, yes, it is very nice that we are getting to a lady of color author. Go, Maya.
1: Yeah. yep, Whole new perspective, honestly. Um, And so, yeah, like I'm not going to go too much into her early life because we're covering that with this book and makes sense after the events of this book the first book uh she decided to become a professional dancer in san francisco and this is where her boss suggested she goes with the name maya angelou instead She's got a of a nice ring to you up yeah yeah very much so instead of her real name which was margaret johnson and she's kind of in the book she's not really a fan of uh her name it seems uh but her brother calls her maya and all that stuff so uh that's how she got maya
0: bailey
1: bailey yep and so she got involved with some writing circles as many people do and well famous authors do and Mary Shelley
0: comes to mind. The writer of Frankenstein.
1: Frankenstein.
0: Yeah, this obviously isn't an episode on that, and I really hope we cover that book one day, but apparently, whenever that book came out, they uh all of the gothic writers had to like gather in secret to share their spooky tales. Ooh, Ooh I can't wait for a spooky book.
1: I I yeah, I want to do another spooky one. It, so fun fact uh f- Frankenstein is a village, like, 20 minutes from me, but it's actually not, it doesn't have anything to do with the book, and there's a castle, oh. uh, about an hour from me, called Frankenstein Castle, and, but it has nothing to do with it. So. You're
0: telling me it's a complete coincidence?
1: I, I don't know. I, I just think she stole the name from the castle, but it uh, uh. doesn't really tie in with the book. Yep. So, um, and and so when she was getting involved with these writing circles, she was also getting involved with civil rights movements, uh, where she would like organize events. And because like during this time in her life, it was the '60s, so there's a lot of civil unrest and movements going on, led by Malcolm X, you know, MLK, and uh so she also spent some time in africa where she acted in plays uh there you go she was an actor wonderful and um she actually had a play with uh uh what's his name the guy who voices darth vader Oh, James Earl Jones.: Yep, she had a play with him, and it was called "The Blacks." Uh, first premiered in Paris, I believe. But huh. Yeah, so she multi-talented, she wrote for English newspapers in Africa, and she went back to the States to work for Malcolm X, uh, shortly before his assassination in 1965.:
0: Bad timing.
1: Yep, and the same thing happened with Martin Luther King because he asked to help her out, but he was assassinated shortly after uh, this job offer, and she never really got to it, and it was on Maya's birthday. So after that, she's like, I'm not celebrating my birthday. I'm celebrating Martin Luther King. Wow. Yep. After this, uh she was heavily depressed. I mean, as much of the black community probably was after that assassination. And her friend James Baldwin, he's a very famous author. Um the thing that I know him from is from a documentary called I Am Not Your Negro. That's a very good documentary. It's on Netflix. And he, he had her over for dinner one night, and they started discussing their life stories. And so, I, you know, it's like, okay, we went through this, we went through that, but then Maya, she gets up and tells her story, and everyone was like, whoa, why haven't you written a book yet?
0: There was this one time in Stamps, Arkansas.
1: Arkansas. <laughs> Arkansas. Now that's a land I've never heard of. (laughs) Yeah, isn't that how it's pronounced? Uh, Arkansas. I don't know. It seems like a magical land, uh, to be honest. Yeah. Uh, But so at this time, Maya, she was very into poetry. Uh, She, you know, she didn't want to write books. She just wanted to make art with her words. And. You know, I I feel like I'm a smart reader, kind of. But with some of the things that she says in here, it's just like I have to read over and over to finally get what she's saying. Um, Honestly,
0: I don't want to be too bold here. But sometimes I'll just get to a point, especially like you were saying in this book. I'll get to a specific point and I'll be like, there is no way I can decipher what this is supposed to mean. But I can really appreciate how it's written out.
1: Yes. Yep. And that's the that's the thing. Like once I read it a couple times, I'm like, that's really good. That's some good stuff. Yep. Um. But yeah. So like, <laughs> it, it's kind of funny uh, because all of her friends at this dinner, they're like, "Oh, I'm sure you couldn't write an autobiography because you know, uh, literature is just." It can't be written as poetry. Uh, you could never write an autobiography as poetry. And she was like, did you just challenge me? And <laughs> and she's like, all right, I'm going to write this book. I'm going <laughs> to write an autobiography. So it, it's actually kind of interesting how she got herself to do it. So she locked herself in a hotel room in London, and she had this ritual that she used to write her other six books. And she would write on, like, you know, those, like, yellow notebook papers. Yeah, Uh, like the
0: law office notepads.
1: Yes, exactly. She would write on those while in bed, and she drank a bottle of sherry and played solitaire. And for her, this unlocked some memories and, like, kind of took her back, and she was able to, like, you know, get into a writing space and she said quote it may take an hour to get into it but once I'm in it ha! it's so delicious huh. so yeah whatever it takes you know hey for- man
0: I've never had sherry but uh, I'm into it
1: yeah yeah uh, for me when I'm like writing these outlines for the podcast I gotta get into a ritual I gotta have a Bud Light uh, <sighs> room temperature uh, mm. because I've just been working on it, on the outline for so long that the Bud Light goes warm. and You it's, forget it's there. <laughs> yeah. Mm. Uh, and I realize it's not that good. Uh, <laughs> uh, the title of the book, I Know Why the Cage Bird Sings, comes from a poem called Sympathy by Paul Lawrence Dunbar, who was a son of two slaves, and... The term a caged bird was used often to describe the chains of slavery, um, and the poem is as follows. I know why the caged bird sings, ah me, when his wing is bruised and his bosom is sore, when he beats his bars and would be free, it is not a carol of joy or glee. But a prayer that he sends from his heart's deep core, but a plea that upward to heaven he flings, I know why the caged bird sings. Like, just basically talking about, like, keeping that spirit even though your people have been discriminated against and tortured ever since the beginning of America. It's like still having that fighting spirit. Yeah, Hmm. very cool. She published the book in 1969. It became an international success. And it is expe- is like especially uh successful along like communities of color, especially women of color. But oh, yeah. Overall, like it o- overnight success became one of the most popular books of all time. Um, but despite this, you know, there have been attempts to ban the book due to some explicit subjects. This is going to be a dark book at points, but it's really good. Like I I don't agree with banning books at all. Unless it's like Mein Kampf or something. Like I get that That's It's like that uh
0: what's his name? Ray Bradbury, the book Fahrenheit four fifty one. Yep. I believe I believe that book is all about burning seditious material.
1: Well, yeah, just like the Nazis did, the freaking book burnings. It's just... Or,
0: hey, check this out, we're officially a history podcast. Who could forget the Library of Alexandria?
1: Ah, uh, so much knowledge
0: lost. Man, that one was a real kick in the stones.
1: We could have had the covid vaccine a year ago if that book if the alexandria library didn't burn down i guarantee you. who knows (laughs) yeah um uh despite efforts to ban the book because let's let's be real the topic of race in america makes some people uncomfortable for some reason and i feel like a lot of it comes from that And despite this, Angelou would continue to be, like, a major influence in civil rights, literature, and basically any art form she touched. Like, she acted, she wrote for newspapers, she did screenplays. Um, What is
0: it with some people just being born so naturally talented with everything they try to do?
1: I don't know. I'm trying to figure that out because it's a lot of work to get these podcasts rolled out. (laughs) Well, seriously, I mean,
0: I mean, even with small things, you know, like that, I, I pick up the guitar and pluck a few strings and it's like, that's fun. And then you hear about some lady like Maya Angelou. She's like, oh, yeah, you know, I picked up the guitar when I was four and immediately just rocked out uh stairway to heaven you know the guitar solo on the spot whatever no big deal it just came to me
1: i did it in the center of uh guitar center and uh (laughs) i never even heard the song before yeah everyone hated me after that Uh, (laughs) so jealous um but yeah I, i don't get it either there's just so many people can you know read without sheet music. I could not do that. Uh, or play without sheet music. Just listen to something and play it. I think that's just insane. Incredible. Uh, but you know, everyone's got their own talents. Yeah. She would keep on being this major influence until her death, uh, in 2014 at the age of 86.
0: Long life.
1: Yep. So that's, that's her life. Uh, crazy life like uh very interesting uh and yeah i'm ready to dive into this dive into the book if you are Cool.
0: did you have any thoughts that you wanted to get
1: out before we got to
0: roll in here
1: i guess i'll mention it again uh this is the beginning of her life the very first few years up until her teenage years i believe so um This is all her experiences.
0: Alrighty, Without further ado, then.
1: Maya, she is reading a poem in front of church members. And the poem goes, What are you looking at me for? I didn't come to stay. And this is just kind of... This is a church uh, in the Deep South. And she's reading this. And while she is, she's wearing a dress that is probably probably secondhand from a white woman and this poem she's reading it just sets the tone for like i didn't come to stay we'll see this repeatedly where she does not feel like she belongs Uh, and this is one of her moments and she describes her appearance as a black female and says quote wouldn't they be surprised when one day i woke out of my black ugly dream And my real hair, which was long and blonde, would take the place of my own. So, in the very beginning, she's not comfortable with uh, her black skin. Self-hatred. Yep. You know, at the time, society was... You know, the perfect life was for the white picket fence white people. Uh, That was the American dream. And... You know, at a very young age, she realized that, and uh, she says that she really believes she is white, and that um, she almost calls like her blackness like a curse. And she's too big and she has a tooth gap. And this is like a curse from a fairy that has a gripe with her or something. She's like zoning out and she snaps back to herself in church reading her poem. Once again, that's like, I didn't come to stay. And everyone is giggling at her because she just forgot the lines of the poem. And she runs down the aisle, gets tripped by you know a foot that was sticking out and she goes outside where she pees herself laughing while running back to her house
0: this will not be our first mention of urinating on self through covering this book too i'm pretty sure that comes up a few separate times if she doesn't do it she's still laughing so hard she's about to which um you know other than having like P running down your legs is a nice feeling to be laughing that hard I suppose.
1: Yeah, it's just a very she's just very there she's been through a lot at this point I feel and this definitely shows it reflects it. And we're about to see why, but um how she feels about the situation, she sums it up with this quote and she says if growing up is painful for the southern black girl, being aware of her displacement is the rust on the razor that threatens the throat. Wow. That's one of the lines where I had to read of it read it like a few times and I was just like, "Oh my gosh. That is deep." Yeah. Like her being a southern black girl is like having a razor to her throat, but her not belonging to the black community is like the rust on that razor, that just, that extra insult. Yep. Yep, so... And the story continues when Maya is three and her brother Bailey is four and their parents are divorced and she basically they just go on a train to be sent from Long Beach, California to Stamps, Arkansas in the middle of Jim Crow the like worst place you could be and uh, she says quote wearing tags on our wrist which instructed to whom it may concern so she basically equates herself to being like just a parcel of mail being sent to the South.
0: That's what's so crazy. I'm sure that this kind of stuff still somehow happens. But yeah, they start or she starts the book off by talking about how her and her brother are literally just put on a train like, all right, you'll figure out where you're going. We got to both stay where we are. So, you know, see you whenever we see you.
1: Yeah. And like three and four. And Yup. Holy moly. Uh, and 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 the worst part is they paid an escort for them. Uh, I don't even think they knew him, and he got off at Arizona. So, right. That is not Arkansas. <laughs> no. And so I've been to the Grand Canyon. Uh, I've from the Grand Canyon, there are mile you, you know mileage signs for los angeles and it's like 200 miles or something like that so they didn't even make it 200 miles with this guy they made it 200 miles with this porter this escort uh and they just yeah get abandoned and it's terrible and bailey he has to you know figure stuff out and everyone feels bad for them on the train they offer them food and all this other stuff but yeah it's just terrible they eventually arrive at stamps arkansas and they're kind of cautiously welcomed by the town um if anyone's been in a small town like you know who lives there uh so whenever you see a stranger there it's kind of weird like you might not get the same treatment from uh the people there um but like it you just know everyone and everyone knows you kind of thing. And that's kind of the welcome they get. It's like, oh, we'll welcome you with a smile, but we're going to keep our eye on you. So they live in the back of a general goods store that their grandmother owns, who they call Mama. Not to be confused with their actual mother. Right. Um, and they also live with Uncle Billy. And this is the son of Mama. And it is their dad's brother so the store is located in the black part of town and it's like the foundation of the town it's where everyone goes mama is like this very strong figure yeah Uh,
0: reputable businessman
1: you know it's how i viewed the lutheran church in uh in minnesota there That, that that was the cement that brought us together is that how you viewed it no, it was actually the place where I go longboarding all the time, and everyone got very angry. The townsfolk got very angry with me, and Hello. you, uh, I'm sure. Um, I hope so. <laughs> yeah. yeah, Um I, I was a good kid until that point in my life. And then everyone said, Cole, you're a pothead. And I said, no, I'm not. So I joined the Air Force to prove them wrong. And I've been in it six years since, five years I, since.
0: I thought you were going to say you started smoking pot to prove them right.
1: Oh, no, 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 no. Nope. Got to stay away from that. So, <laughs> <laughs> uh. So, uh Across the store, this general store that uh, Mama owns, their grandmother, is a cotton field, and the workers come to the store every morning at 4am to buy lunch from Mama, which is like a crazy early time, but I have to get up at like 4.20, 4.30 uh, sometimes, so it's just like, I've been there.
0: Uh, Honestly, sometimes that... Uh, sounds like the dream to me having a job where i 'd get out of bed at five in the morning and be done with work with plenty of the day to spare, but um you know, I also like being able to stay up super late so
1: yeah yeah it's it is cool to experience the world before it really starts. you know everyone no one 's really up for their commutes yet, maybe a few lights come on in the houses, and people are you know awaking once I leave my house but uh, it is kind of neat to get off at a decent time but I, on my days off I usually sleep until like 8 or 9 so I don't Smart. think I, re- I really actually like it yeah and so each morning they come into the store these cotton field workers and they're optimistic uh, but once they return from work uh, their hands are pricked by cotton and they're just broken and just beaten down, disappointed that they are barely scraping by and they they can barely pay for food on the table. They're just, it's just a never ending cycle. And since it's a cycle, uh, it makes Maya kind of angry because she thinks that, yeah, like, why do you come into the store and you're all happy, but at the end you're, angry there's something to be said
0: about taking on a new day with some optimism you know yeah nothing wrong with that i particularly actually enjoyed this part in the book because getting a little more specific she said that they would come in um loaded up on trucks or whatever and they'd all be talking about how because they were being paid per i suppose it wouldn't be pound because i feel like a pound of cotton would be like a giant ball of it. I guess I'm not entirely sure. It was a bag, I think. Oh, okay. Sure. Yeah. So yeah, they were talking about how, you know, they're going to bring the most and they're going to go buy this with the money or, you know, I'm going to pull twice what you do today. So like I said, um, nothing wrong with a little friendly sportsmanship and optimism to start your day off. Even if it does end up crashing and burning.
1: Yeah. I think Maya's just angry. At the core, because, uh...
0: It's ridiculous that people have to live like that.
1: Yes. Yeah, exactly. And especially that, well, black people are still kind of doing the same thing they're doing under white owners, because this was the time of, like, sharecropping and everything. Right. uh, Where people just got screwed over.
0: Yeah, um... Honestly, it's been quite a few years since I hit the history books, but if I'm not mistaken, sharecropping was like the, like you are saying, wasn't it almost the exact same thing as slavery, but instead of the person being owned, it was like, oh, well, you could just keep working on your land that you've worked on for the last five years, and, you know, I'm still taking all the money, but now, you know, you're getting an extra dime a week. Is that kind of roughly how that worked? Because, like I said, I'm not very well-versed in history.
1: I believe so. It it was like a system that was set up for exploitation. And if you watch... Well, if you don't... If you watch uh, The Grapes of Wrath, uh, it'll show like this system where all these families think they can make it through this system. farming method but they can't and they have to resort to the new deal programs that were set up for the great depression and that's where things were better um i just cover that book sometime yeah i i just saw the movie so i can't really speak for the book i had to watch it for my film class so Uh. Yep. I didn't really want to watch it because I was like, oh, I got to read the book first. will <laughs> so. see,
0: I was going to, I was sitting over here like, oh, you just watched the movie and didn't even think about reading the book, huh?
1: Do you even do a, a book podcast? Do you really call yourself a real yeah. book
0: guy? Is I didn't know that we were doing the Bad Movie Book Club. It doesn't have, or no, the Bad Movie Book Club, the Bad Apple Movie Club, I suppose, would be what it would actually be called but that has an awful ring to it so i think we should probably stick to books
1: Yep, exactly so yep and uh so then uh maya after she you know describes this system uncle willie she starts to describe him and he was crippled as a child but uh he has like this is how she described him so he has, quote, shelves full of food, but was the butt of jokes of the unemployed and the underpaid, just because he was a cripple. Right. But yep. But he was faring well compared to everyone else, and uh, that was respectful. Like, Maya, Maya, she respected that thing about him. Um, Got to. She really, she like notices that he doesn't really try to hide his uh, disability until one day she finds him trying to stand up straight for two, like, you know, quote-unquote, foreign customers. They're just people, not regular customers. Um, and so he's, like, really putting an effort into this. And once they leave, Uncle Billy is just exhausted because... Uh, She describes Uncle Willie as like a Z. Uh, Basically, his whole body is like a Z. It's shaped like it. But he straightened out for these people, and it took so much. And uh, Maya, she really feels closer to him because of his disability. Like, she can kind of relate to him uh, because she feels left out in a lot of stuff. Right. And I forget the
0: specifics of it, but these foreign customers just so happened to be, I believe it was a married white couple. Yes. Um, and yeah, she made sure to mention that she'd never seen him stand up straight like that before. So, of course, my wacky brain is immediately like, oh, so he's just faking having a disability? But no, that's uh, not what it is because this book
1: isn't a like cartoon or movie from the 80s. Uh, (laughs) yep. This isn't a Reagan take on it where, uh, the whole welfare queen, uh, stigma was created. This was well before that. Uh, no, Uncle Willie is not playing the system. Nope. (laughs) (laughs) Uncle Willie is severely disabled and, uh, he needs some help. He's got that
0: rubber-tipped cane and those um, nice shoes. I feel like they said he has nice shoes.
1: Yeah, I can't remember. Uh, He does have that rubber-tipped cane, though. Oh, yeah. So, Maya, during this time, she falls in love with uh, literature. And the most... uh, She falls in love with this author the most, Shakespeare... Because it's just kind of fun. Her and Bailey would like recite some of those plays. and uh, But she feels a little bit guilty because of his color. Yeah, and, Mama know, he... would
0: not have it if she knew that Maya was in love with a white man. Yeah, and let's, you know, I don't know. I don't know what you'd have more of a problem with—the fact that he's a white guy, or that he's like 600 years
1: old by this point in the <laughs> yeah. book. Yeah, a little creepy for the Shakespeare guy. <laughs> yeah, robbing uh, the cradle a little bit, there, yeah, guy. Yeah. Uh, Maya, she says, I don't think color really matters once people have been dead for like 600 years. It's uh, fair. Yeah, so. There you go. Uh that's why Jesus, you know, he's portrayed as all the as white and he just becomes colorless, you know. He uh, wasn't after white so many times after so many years. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so of course not. Of course not. He is he was not white. Um sorry
0: it, it, to burst anyone's bubble. Yeah,
1: now. a little controversial. We'll get a little controversial in today's episode. Yeah. Uh Yep, so Maya, she is working around the store and she's like measuring flour for customers and she does it so much to the point where she's able to scoop out like a perfect amount that is exactly one pound. But some of the customers demean her and Maya, she really beats herself up for it. They're like, now don't you try to make a profit off of me is what one of the ladies said. Um
0: Don't you try to make a profit off of me? Well, lady, don't you know what they're running a store for?
1: Hey, oh, (laughs) whoa, I didn't see that one coming. I Uh, hope not. Yeah, Uh, yep. Uh, Uh, back back in your uh cashier days, is there any instances where, like, is there any instance where you had just a terrible customer that treated Uh, you so bad, like Maya might have?
0: I seem to remember... Okay, so this might turn out to be really boring, but I'll try to press it down. We had an ice cream machine that had magnets. The left one... Well, if it had ice cream in it, the left one said vanilla and the right one said chocolate. And I remember one night, this lady coming in, I was just working by myself, and she's standing by the ice cream machine, and there's not a magnet on the one side, but she's... (laughs) pressing ice or she's like pressing the button down and this like straw thin um serving of vanilla ice cream is being squeezed out of this thing it's like when you're trying to get the last out of a tube of toothpaste like i said there's no magnet on there and after about 45 minutes when she got her cup filled she comes over to me And I'm like, that's $4, because whatever, it was really expensive ice cream. Good ice cream, too, though. And she's like, well, shouldn't there be a discount for how long it took to come out of the machine? And I'm like, well, you know, there's not a magnet on that side, so there shouldn't be ice cream in there in the first place, and you're the one that just held your finger down on it for 45 minutes. So, no, there's no discount. Um, That's just the one that comes to mind. Yeah, customer service is wonderful.
1: Yeah, we stand by our customer service workers, uh, especially ya. during this time. Jesus oh, Christ! Yeah. Oh yeah, <sighs> yeah. But yeah, it's just like uh, when you have when uh, your sibling leaves uh, just a little bit of orange juice at the bottom, Ooh. and then you try to get as much dri- dripped out of there, and it's just not enough. But you just gotta relax. Buy a new carton of orange juice, whatever, and move Breathe.
0: on. Breathe deep.
1: Yeah. So at the time, it might have made me angry because I was an angry teenager, but you just... I'm older now. I'm wiser.
0: That's life, baby.
1: Yeah. So, yep. Uh, so, uh, she loves being around the store. Uh, she just thinks it's magical being around all these different food items and especially before they open when the sunlight hits just right and like it's beaming off these cans and all these other things but she's obsessed with pineapples uh, mm. and but she can only eat them like once a year on Christmas when they make a uh, pineapple upside down cake
0: Yeah, that sounds delightful
1: yeah, yeah, it's it, it kind of reminded me of like Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, where he only gets like a candy bar uh, for his birthday or whatever. If I may personally
0: relate to this, makes me think of how I only ever have beef jerky on Christmas because I would never pay seven dollars for such a tiny snack.
1: Nope, and it makes so, a good stocking stuffer.
0: Oh, it really does. So yeah, I associate well specifically turkey jerky with. A Yuletide
1: feeling. Yep. Yep, It's you Gotta savor some of those things, you know. One day, uh... As Maya and Bailey are feeding the pigs, a next sheriff arrives on horseback to tell Mama, quote, Tell Willie to lay down tonight. A crazy N-word messed with the white lady. Some of the boys will be coming over here later. Uh... And you guys can probably guess who these boys are. Um, they can't see out of their eye holes. Let's just say that. Can't see. Uh, <laughs> um, and so Maya, she thinks to herself, quote, Boys, these are the guys that can burn your clothes off with the amount of hate in their eyes. Awful. Yep. So...
0: And yeah, um, I suppose she's even saying there, too, that it makes me think of those court trials where someone commits a, you know, awful crime, but the lawyer they have hired is like, oh, well, you know, we'll we'll put a Jesus piece around your neck and you'll wear a turtleneck, so you'll, instead of looking like this deranged 30-year-old, we'll try to make you look like a child. So she's kind of saying... I wouldn't exactly describe the people coming around to, like, burn shit down. I wouldn't describe them as, like, boys. But, of course, too, this sheriff is even like, the boys are
1: coming around, you know? Yeah. Oh, it's just the the boys. The thing that bothers her the most is is that it's routine. Like, this is, they're just supposed to, like, bow down and accept this as normal. Man. You know? and it's it's disgusting and you know this guy sees himself as a savior you know a white savior whatever and maya hates this guy for it uh she just finds the whole situation humiliating mama to prepare for this she knows what's coming she's dealt with white people her whole life she clears out a potato, a potato and onion bin, and stuffs Willie in there like a casserole. "Quote unquote," uh, which is just terrible. Like it's just—I could imagine Willie's just like, "Well, why do I get got to get into the onion bin?" And they're just like, "Shut up, shut up! The KKK is coming! Come on, He's Willie!" He's
0: already apparently Z-shaped, so you imagine laying down flat would just be torturous.
1: Yes. Yep, and just the scary fact that the clan could kill this man while he's lying helpless under like potatoes and onions is just scary.
0: And and I'm not going to say that uh, you know any but anytime someone goes out to commit a crime, they should just you know once again sick the boys on him, you know, if they went and did this or that, then, you know, just uh, kill him right then and there, you know, we're playing judge, jury, and executioner, but I think the scarier part, too, is that he's obviously completely innocent in this whole thing, but these guys are just out, uh, presumably looking for any, any black guy, you know what I well, mean?
1: Well, yeah, it's a freaking, it's a disgusting game to them. Yep. Like, uh, and thankfully... They don't ride into the yard of this shop. But the whole time, Uncle Billy quote, moaned the whole night, though, as if he had, in fact, been guilty of some heinous crime. (sighs) So really setting the scene like you don't even have to describe the horrors of Jim Crow when you have just one scene like this to set it up for the rest of the book of what this well region of the u.s was like at the time and so she continues to like describe the south and she says quote what sets one southern town apart from another or from a northern city high rise and she answers it by saying that knowing that you are the minority not the majority so that's what really separates like a southern town from like this heaven she calls California. Like She always says that California is this beautiful place uh, and the South is just, well, like a living hell. Um, And so across the town is where the white people lived and they almost have to imagine what they look like. Uh, And she says, quote, I remember never believing that whites were really real People who lived on my side of town were people. The strange pale creatures that lived in their alien unlife weren't considered folks. They were white folks. End quote. So it's almost like uh, the white folks are living in Mordor or something, and it's like this mythical place that Maya just doesn't know about, you know? yeah yeah so it's just it's it's such a weird well it's a very insightful way like you know i can't describe how segregated towns are like but this really put it into perspective that there's a clear boundary where black folks go and where white folks go um despite living in the segregated south Maya, she finds a lot of comfort being with her bit with her big brother, Bailey. Ah. Yeah. So like, despite living in this terrible world, Bailey is quote, the greatest person in the world, uh, or the greatest person in my world. Customers would like always be coming into the general store. And this is just so rude, especially for a young girl, but they say how ugly Maya is. They'll tell her this. And thankfully, Bailey is there, and he would say smart things back like, Oh, I heard your son uh, looks like he's sick enough to die. And then, like, the mom is like, My son's not sick. What? Die from what? And then Bailey would say something like, Oh, the uglies. <laughs> <boy>, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> got him. Yep. Uh, and so. Since, like, Bailey always sticks up for her, she says, quote, my pretty black brother was my kingdom come. So. Yeah,
0: that's another thing that she describes a few times is that they're brother and sister, but they look completely dissimilar. Obviously, she's talked a few times about just randomly having insults hurled at her, which can't be good for the self-esteem, but she Mm -hmm. also compares herself to this very you know, good-looking brother of hers who's charming people off their feet and he's always cracking jokes and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. But uh, it's good that she didn't resent him for being so different from herself and they were actually much closer because of it.
1: Yeah, I, I thought that quote was important where she says, he's my kingdom come. It's almost like she, he's her, uh, you know, religion. Some place you go to for comfort. Uh, right. So... Yeah, and, like, Bailey is this... Uh, he's not a big kid. He's actually described as, you know, small, cute, but Maya, she's described as the opposite, as, like, a, you know... Or she describes herself as bigger and ugly. Um, so she just always is bringing herself down, and people do that to her as well. And so Maya and Bailey must follow mama's rules of being clean because well, if they're playing outside all day, once they go to sleep, she checks their feet and if they're dirty, Ooh boy, she gets the switch out and she whips them. Ouch. So mama, she runs a strict God fearing household, very tough love but that changes when the she describes uh, poor white trash kids. She uses the term poor white trash. Um, and when they come to the store and they cause chaos and these kids, these white kids don't respect mama or anyone in the store because they're climbing on everything. It's just like a hectic daycare and... Uh, she said, quote, if one of the playful apparitions got close to us, I pinched it. So (laughs) are you real? Yeah. Is this? a white man a white boy Mm. (laughs) yeah so i thought it was funny how she describes them as apparition because she doesn't really see them as real and it's funny because they're acting up and they're so she pinches them but at the same time it's like i gotta pinch this to see if they're real Mm -hmm. (laughs) because these kids are little devils oh my (sighs) god yeah Maya and Mama are standing on the porch of the store one day and three white girls come walking up and Mama tells Maya to go inside because she knows how to handle them and it's almost like uh the next scene that comes up is like a wild wild west scene with Clint Eastwood like the mom is or mama she's just like looking out at them with like this you know glare and the kids are walking up and the music's playing and so the girls they stand in front of mama trying to mimic her stance and all mama does is she looks straight out into the horizon and hums she just hums this tune uh never
0: never give them what they want
1: no i mean it's just like with childhood bullies don't uh don't play into their games yep and it, it just sucks because these are kids yes but they're white kids, so you have to be super careful, um, even though this is the most powerful figure in the black community of this town. And so these kids are making racist comments. I think they even, like, imitated an ape or something disgusting like that. And the oldest girl of the group uh, does a handstand. Mm-hmm. And it's just so weird. I've never seen this done, thankfully. But she's not wearing anything under her dress, so it reveals her hairy bush to Mama. Whoa! Yep. And Whoa. I don't know what it's to humiliate her, but it's just like, I I would never do this to, like, win an argument with somebody. You know? It's just... It's so but, weird. But have
0: you tried to do this win <laughs> argument with somebody?
1: Well, I have heard if uh, someone's trying to fight you, just drop your pants if you don't want to fight. But uh, this that- is...
0: I imagine that would do the trick. (laughs) Yeah, better they'd (laughs) want to
1: fight you more. Yeah, yeah. Mm. (laughs) oh, that's it. (laughs) Wow. Uh, Yep. But this is just to humiliate her. This is the most powerful figure, and uh, they don't show any respect because they're po white trash. So they all leave, and Maya is furious. She's worked up. She watched the whole scene go down, but she realizes that somehow Mama won because she didn't pay mind to them. She just stared into the distance, and once they left, they said Mama was like, Bye! And, yeah, she won. And then she describes this, uh, that every three months there's this man that comes and this man is Reverend Thomas and he comes to visit the local church just to see how they're doing and like take their offerings, their money, whatever. Now he is a big man, uh, that, uh, Bailey and Maya like to imitate and they really hate him because, you know, they're not getting the most food on the table on Sundays. They get a really nice meal but this big man just comes in and he eats the best parts of the chicken and he hogs up all the food. There's no leftovers him. or anything. Yeah. Yeah. This is just uh, a hog. Like this guy eats everything. Never come between me and my chicken. <laughs> no. And this is during the Depression too. So there was. this is the type of people that live through this. They save everything nothing goes to waste wonderful um and they always have to greet him with fake kindness even though they hate him and (laughs) i just think it's so ironic because it's a it's a preacher it's a reverend um and this should be a guy that's you know splits the bread evenly whatever and his prayers before dinner are just too long and it makes all of them go starving (laughs) Their hunger probably goes away (laughs) once he's done with the prayer. Yeah, and Uh. she did mention that all the food is
0: cold by the time he's finally done. So, oh, what was it? She wrote out such a specific meal. And I can't remember which food item it was, but she said that um, these things are only good when they're piping hot and they got whatever, ham grease dumped over them or something Mm. like that. But by the time the guy's done talking, they're like cold and mushy or something like that yeah and once again i would be thoroughly upset but also i don't know that i'm gonna sit around waiting for this big fat guy to finish his prayer before i'm done eating because i'm hungry yeah
1: the only place that uh we really pray before dinner is when i have to visit my grandma so uh it's just a respect thing she keeps it brief whatever God, God bless, bless this food. <laughs> yep, <laughs> that's mm. all you need.
0: <laughs> Rub a dub dub. Thanks for the grub. <laughs> yeah,
1: yep, yeah. and it uh, makes the food taste better. <laughs> mm. But uh, during church, Reverend Thomas he's giving a sermon, and a woman just she goes up to the altar and she's like moving almost like under a spell. She doesn't go to church often, but she's like. Feeling it, she's really feeling this sermon to the point where she gets up to the podium and she just screaming, "Preach it, preach it!" Uh, and so he just keeps on going as if the lady isn't in front of her. Uh, but eventually, a fight a fight breaks out uh, during this chaos, and uh, <laughs> the lady is still yelling, "Preach it!" Uh, and preach it. <laughs> reverend thomas is on the floor and <laughs> he's a man of opportunity so <laughs> instead of standing straight up he gets up on his knee and he says all right let's bow for a prayer and he plays it off like nothing happened <laughs> uh, and then uh but the final straw is when the woman hits him in the head and his denture flies out oh <laughs> that's embarrassing And this is one of the most funniest things I've read in the book. And he says, once his dentures fly out, naked I came into this world and naked I shall go out. Yep, there you go. (laughs) So, he is not bothered that his dentures flew out. (laughs) Born alone, die alone. Yep. Mm -hmm. But... uh, (laughs) Bailey and Maya the whole time they're trying to hold in their laughs, but because they know that they're going to get a whipping, Uh, but they're rolling around laughing and Uncle Willie, he takes them out back and he whips them. But uh, Maya notes that Bailey's got to figure it out. If you scream your ass off uh they're either and like cry and cry and cry you're the person that's whipping you it might have a little sympathy for you or they might just annoy the neighbor enough to make them stop so wow. the the one of the members of the church comes out and is like stop like we can't hear the sermon um uh, you're whipping this
0: child two feet from
1: the front door yeah uh, and then uh yeah it's just create different times different times. yeah and uh, Maya like this whole situation is very funny but and she's laughing about it like the whole scene that just went down but she feels very very sick even though she's laughing so hard um, which is just kind of a weird mixture. It's yeah. it's like almost like being pushed to insanity, it seems. Wow, um, and so despite being a beautiful and like powerful woman in the community, mama warns her grandchildren that quote, when taking, when talking to white folks, you risk your life. Uh, she's played this game for so long, this terrible game. Uh, and she's gotta let her kids know, uh, well, her grandchildren, and she tells a story about a few years back before Maya and Bailey arrived that a black man was accused of assaulting a white woman and he hid at mama's store. So he was captured and he testified in court that he stayed with Mrs. Henderson. So this is the South in the 30s. You did not uh, white people did not address black people as Mr. or Mrs. When the whole court was expecting a white woman, a white woman to testify that, yeah, this man was in my store. But when mama arrived to the court, the white filled room just laughed at her. So because, weird. Yeah. It's just like this. Yeah, petty this super petty like that's not a uh, missus yeah it's just a, so dumb just once again crazy crazy that this was a thing and still is a thing i'm sure in some parts of the u.s and the world right uh, yeah so this was just like another thing to describe the oppression they face in stamps arkansas which he calls like you know it could be called Hang 'em high alabama it could be called don't let the sun set on your ass uh georgia stuff like that like yeah the south just had it's it's a scary place to be in and don't let the sun set on you that basically means that when the sun sets the white people, if they catch black people out at dark, if the police catch them out at dark, they can do whatever they want, and it doesn't matter, because no one can see what happened. And it's just disgusting. Terrifying. Yes. Uh, And the white side of town, you know, they have everything nice, uh, except for the po-white folk, who live pretty close to the black community. And... They their biggest flex was, like, you know, they could go through clothes like it was nothing. And they would donate their old stuff to the local sewing classes, and this was just the total opposite in the black community because the people that would donate something, if, you know, somebody lost all their belongings in the house fire, well, the person that was donating probably needed it as much as the person that was receiving it. Like... When somebody donated it, something or like did a kind of act or an act of kindness, like it, everyone else in the community needed that. Mama, she was still richer than any po white trash folk, uh, but when the Depression hit, at first it hit the white people, but then it really hit the sharecroppers uh, and the uh, black people working in the fields. She described the slow trickle,
0: too, because um, I remember this part of the book, her referring to the fact that she didn't think the Depression could hit such a, whatever, podunk town in the middle of nowhere, but sure enough, um, even though it took a few years, it eventually did creep in, and I think she said that it started with the white people and then once again crept downwards just over a
1: slow time trickling. Yep. Yep, exactly. Like it, uh, when it was there, it, it was there. Like it, uh, and it forced, like people can no longer buy things at the store. She would say, I would trade you like four cans of beans for a sack of flour or something like that. Like they resorted to trade and barter because, uh, she couldn't really make a profit off of this business during this time, but also she wanted to make sure that her community was being supplied. So yeah, it hit everyone very hard. Um, and so later uh, during Christmas, Bailey and Maya received gifts from their parents Uh, once again doesn't know at all they haven't contacted her or anything um she pretty much says yeah my parents are dead like they've convinced themselves that their parents are dead and heaven is a place called california they get a picture of their father for christmas and a tea set and a blue-eyed white blonde well like a blonde doll that's white and has blue eyes From their mother, so they're just like, "What did we do to deserve this? Like, why were we sent off?" So, and they get these gifts, and they go outside, and they're just like wondering that, and they start crying, and you know, they they start putting the blame of the divorce on themselves, and like they were the reason why they got shipped off, which I'm sure is what a lot of kids go through when their parents get divorced. Like uh, they have that same thought I wouldn't know but uh, that is common I feel their mom or their grandmother calls them ungrateful and like you know you guys should be grateful that Santa came that your parents gave you gifts but later Bailey and Maya are still angry about this and rip up the doll that their mother sent and then one day Shortly after this event, their father shows up unannounced in a nice, freshly washed car for his, you know, quote-unquote, grand appearance.
0: She even says that the gray Cadillac or whatever is so um, shiny and clean that she could tell that he must have just stopped a mile out of town to wipe it off before making his, quote-unquote, grand appearance.
1: Yeah, it's... It's like he's coming up here with a red carpet and unveiling it to walk on it to meet his kids. Like, it's a a show, almost. Yeah, and, like, he's a a big man, and he speaks like a white man. That's, like, the biggest thing that throws Maya off. Um, And Maya is, like, really shocked by this. She doesn't talk—he doesn't talk like anyone in the black community of Stamps— and you know Maya she's not too sure what to think about him but Bailey instantly bonds with him uh because Bailey's just like this humorous kid and he's really you know light and funny um but Maya she thinks quote I was an orphan that they picked up to provide Billy Bailey with company so she does not feel any connection to her dad at all right and so he stays for like three weeks and the whole town loves him like everyone's coming to see him and talk to him about california because this is like this is almost like immigrating from you know a third world country coming to america or going back to like a third world country and telling them about america and because california is just you know even to this day like everyone's like california is just where dreams come true almost and so maya she doesn't really see him as like this welcoming force and she sees him more as an intruder on her life and uh eventually big bailey their dad says that he's taking them to California and uh, mama she seems pretty sad about this but she won't admit it she says act good I raised you right like she won't give them anything more than that even though she they can tell that she's pretty worked up about this right so so she's got tough.
0: a strong a strong um, I don't know about a strong impression to make but she is viewed as such a Powerful figure, you know. She can't go getting all teary eyed when he's leaving and stuff.
1: All right. No. Nope. See you later. It it is the definition of like tough love. I feel. Um, and so they get into their dad's car and they they start their trip, going to California. Cues cue the Led Zeppelin song, and out of uh, nowhere, the dad asks if they want to visit their mother, uh, Maya. This isn't according to plan. So she's freaked out. And she says she wants to go back to Stamps. And she starts crying. Uh, And their dad just kind of laughs it off. And so they arrive in St. Louis. And Maya, she's convinced it's hell. Like, this is the first time she's seen, like, an industrial landscape. She just traveled the country, seeing all the houses that look the same. Kind of like how Chief described it in uh, one flew over the cuckoo's nest one flew over the cuckoo's nest where all the houses are the same they're just cookie cutter um and yeah like maya is not excited about this they get to their mother's house and maya she's just completely astounded by how beautiful her mother is she's like this is not my mother because i am ugly and she is not
0: hmm. uh
1: and bailey instantly falls in love with her and seems to forget all the nights that they were crying and feeling unwanted and so lonely. And Maya, once again, feels no connection because of her own ugliness compared to Bailey. And their father leaves a few days later, but Maya doesn't really care. She says, quote, He was a stranger, and if he chose to leave us with a stranger, it was all of one piece. And... That's where we'll uh, end part one. I think we're going to do this one in four parts. This was chapters one through nine. But yeah, a crazy good book so far. Just what are you thinking there, Lucas? I'm thinking
0: that you once again have done a very nice job writing the outline up for a story that I thought was going to be difficult to um, get nice and concise, you know, at least for five or six pages of an outline to read off of her podcast, but we're seeing a lot of continuous themes here, uh, maybe not self-hatred, but she's talking about, what was it, being a white person inside a black person's body, was that kind of, one of the things she started off saying?
1: Yeah, yeah, I would say, like, self-hatred is... Someone, I feel like there's a better word for it. Maybe just self-depreciated. Self-depreciated.
0: Yeah, no, not not so much. Well, yeah, she just, you know, like any other person growing up, they may think, you know, I got a little more meat on my bones than the average person or, uh, you know, um, I got funny-looking eyes or, you know, all that kind of stuff. wish I was taller.
1: wish I was a baller.
0: Yep. um, But, you know, you can't do anything about it, and that doesn't usually... I mean, I don't know that it makes people feel better, but you should take solace in the fact that you can't do anything about
1: it, because, you know, you could have looked way worse. <laughs> uh, I don't know about this end here, Luke. <laughs> What's that? I don't know about on this end here. Got a yeah, lot of work to do. Uh, radio yeah, okay, voice, you know radio voice.
0: Saying. Yep, that's completely uh, fair. But, yeah, you know... um, This book is a lot more straightforward, I feel, than a lot of the other stuff we've read where I had a few revelations as we were going through this specific um, episode here. But a lot of the stuff I remember thinking, you know, thinking the exact same thing at the time, you know, compared to maybe connective tissues of our other books coming back into play you know, something you read off in part one coming back in part four. This book seems straight to the point, but I suppose it's because when it's someone's life story, they don't really have time to be worming in funny little details that, you know, make everything come full circle. Cause that's just not how life is.
1: Nope. Uh, yeah. And I guess like the biggest theme is like not feeling well, there's multiple themes to this. There's themes of oppression. It's heavy. Um, you don't think she'll ever feel good about herself. Uh, and she doesn't feel like she has a place. And a lot of that has to do with the amount of location she's been in. And I think she's under the age of 10 at this point. Uh, I think she's like 10, or tw- 10, 11, 12 at this point. Um okay and she's lived in like three different places um yeah i mean when you ch- change your location that much and you kind of have to be ripped away from an uh, environment that even though it's terrible uh you have your rock you have your mama or whatever um she just feels very lost i feel and i believe that yeah yep but yeah we'll be back next week with part two part two part two is going to be very disturbing i'm just going to say that right now i Uh,
0: was going to say that um i literally unintentionally may have completely stopped well, I mean, I haven't picked the book up in a couple of days, and I literally may have ended right where this episode does, so I don't even know what's coming in part two yet. But yeah. as you've said, and as I'd heard offhandedly, just mentioning this book to someone a time or two, you know, uh, it is apparently going to get quite explicit and graphic.
1: Yep. Yeah, so just keep that in mind. Yeah. Um yeah next week's episode's gonna get pretty bad um but until then i suppose uh go
0: ahead and look at our instagram page you should know what it is by now unless you don't you know it's the bad apple book club um we have a few shirts and maybe we'll have a few more one day i don't know
1: oh we will yeah, I hope, hope you guys are doing well. New Year is treating you right. I know it's been a little bit of a crazy ride so far, mm-hmm. uh, but that's okay, because we're on this ride together, uh, whether you like it or not. We're yeah, America, honestly, America is one ship, and we gotta go.
0: Well, no, at the end of the day, it's happening whether you like it or not, and like I was saying earlier, that, uh, you know, shouldn't bring people solace, but... Try to find pleasure in the little things if you're stretched out. Uh, uh, if you're stressed out about the big picture right
1: now. Yep. Yep. Uh, tough times. Probably some of the toughest times our country has faced. But that's okay. You got entertainment. You got podcasts. You got books. Yeah. Books. Podcasts Listen. about books. Books about podcasts.
0: Listen to a podcast.
1: Yep. So uh, try not to let the news bring you down. All right.
0: Yep. But until then, um,
1: call up Grandma and see how
0: she's doing.
1: Yep. Yep. Call uh, call all your loved ones. Make sure they're doing all right. So. Yep. Uh, thanks for listening, and uh, you know, take it easy. Peace. Peace.
0: podcast, you call me. Of
1: course. You know, I can always do nothing with it. (laughs)